Imagine it's the early 2000s. You're in Tehran, the capital of Iran. Your life, like everyone else's, is saturated in state-sponsored Islam. Punctuating your days with prayers, filling your mind with Quran, continuous media and messaging made in the name of Allah and of the state. It's comforting, in a way, always knowing what to do, what to say, who to welcome, who to hate. But as the culture around you becomes steadily more unstable, giving way to intensified violence and poverty, you begin to sense a growing disillusionment. Questions begin to rise in you about God and humanity, and you aren't finding answers in the mosque. And it's not just you. This steady unsettling seems to be spreading. You've noticed, however, that there are those who seem to rise above it. You've known Kamran since you were little. In adulthood, he'd become violent, selling drugs and weapons on the street. But one day, a friend gave him a Christian scripture, a New Testament. After reading for five consecutive days, Kamran gave his life to Jesus, whatever that means. And his family and friends saw the transformation over the ensuing months, and many of them also came to this faith. A group of Christians now meet regularly in Kamran's house. Another friend, Reza, was a mullah, a Muslim scholar who hoped to become an ayatollah. One day, while studying at the Islamic seminary, he found a New Testament that had been brazenly left out in the library. Out of curiosity, he picked it up and was deeply shaken. Over time, he explained to you, he had fallen in love with Jesus. Hearing these stories, you thought they sounded nice and you were glad both of your friends seemed to have found happiness, even some other scripture that was helpful to them. But seeing their dramatic transformation and the way they now look at the world through eyes of joy and hope, you wonder, what is this New Testament? And is it really just another sacred text? Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for being here and for listening. My name is Dwayne Tassell. I'm the pastor of Eastridge Church, and I'm here with my son, Ben Tassell. What's up? Uh, and he's uh, part of our teaching team. <laughs> and uh, we are here in uh, Ben's... Be- you, you thought I was going to say bunker, didn't yep. you? Very <laughs> beautiful, sunny day out here in the Garden of Eden. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, we can't, we can't tell you... Uh, where uh, it is, though, because then everybody would want to be here, right? So here's the progression that's happened over the last couple of episodes. First, you were calling it a bunker, as if I was a survivalist and a prepper in some well. way. And then uh, and then you started calling it the Garden of Eden. That's quite the shift. Well, I, for, note for the audio, I um, just live in a house in the woods. That's uh, all. I'm just trying to raise it to a biblical level because we're talking about Bible today. 
but on all seriousness, we, we want to let everybody know that we are praying for you. Uh, I know that sort of seems generic, and, and I guess it is, but we're praying for anybody at picks this up, listens to it either now and these days uh, that we're in, in the midst of this coronavirus, we're in the midst of the tough weeks right now, uh, but also uh, if you pick it up later. Uh, and I hope it's encouraging to you, even if you're a person who uh, doesn't know what to make of faith yet, uh, that's okay. We're glad you're listening. In fact, we honor you for listening to it. And uh, we're going to start off today with Ben uh, explaining what that story you heard in the opening was all about. Yeah, so we took you, in, in our imaginations, we took you to uh, Iran uh, in the early 2000s. Um, there's a lot of uh, data coming out of Iran currently. Um, many people are categorizing uh, the Iranian uh, Church of, of Jesus as the fastest growing church anywhere in the world. Um, it, it is, um, the statistics seem to say that over the last 20 years, more people have come to faith in Iran than in the previous 13 centuries combined. And uh, it's pretty amazing what's going on there. You can uh, find a lot of research online. Um, part of, uh, we actually quoted part of an article in that opening story. Uh, we, we quoted a 2016 article from the Gospel Coalition called The Story of Iran's Church in Two Sentences. And uh, in it, it describes the lives of people who have come to faith in Jesus. And for a lot of them, what, what happens uh, when they begin to see who Jesus is and kind of come w- wake up to all that the gospel has for them, um, what, what it begins with is just opening the New Testament and reading about Jesus, reading about what he did, what he said, what he's like, and ultimately coming to believe that he's more than just another spiritual teacher, that he's actually uh, God in the flesh and uh, somebody worth giving our whole lives to. So today we're sort of talking about the transformational nature of Scripture, and uh, in, a, in a very real way, Iran is experiencing that even up to today, the present time. So um, yeah, why don't, why don't you launch us into uh, the, today's the idea. main theme? <clears throat> yeah, the, um, the thing about uh, Iran is that, I mean, they're in the midst of this uh, pandemic crisis in a horrible way, uh, just like the rest of the world. Uh, uh, even more so in many cases, but the reality is, is they, as Christians, those who are Christians there, were under a real crisis to begin with. And so that's why we started with this, uh, because today's theme really is about resilient Christians uh, are simply mere Christians getting in touch with another life. And that other life is what we see uh, in the story of the Bible. You see, uh, Scripture, uh, that is biblical Scripture, uh, not only grows our faith, it not only makes us feel secure and feel good, uh, sometimes it does make us feel good, uh, you know, in the challenging passages, but, uh, you know, generally it makes us feel good, it does that, but it shows us a pathway to seeing the resilient way of Jesus, and it engages our thoughts in a way that transforms our worldviews into holy imaginaries. So that's why uh, we're uh, launching into it today, because it's the first place to start in terms of trying to understand these devoted patterns that we'll talk about in a minute. Right. So last time we talked about devoted patterns, or some people call them spiritual disciplines or practices or all kinds of different language around those, but we call them devoted patterns. Um, And we talked about them as if they are the holy machinery of renewal. And we get these from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, just the, the basic things that we as Christians and as a community and as a church are called to do. And uh, we talked about them as the holy machinery of renewal, which is, uh, I really like this idea of machinery. You know, I'm not much of a machines or technology person, 
per se, but I really like this idea of uh, a machine uh, that sort of you put something in, whether it be energy or material or whatever, and something different comes out. And so in that way, uh, the holy machinery of renewal, you put in crisis or you put in experiences or you put in uh, circumstances in the world or in life. Uh, and it it sort of churns and churns and churns and turns crisis into renewal, spiritual renewal, a, a new sense of God's presence, a new sense of resilience in the way of Jesus. Um, and because of that, these whole these uh, these devoted patterns that we're talking about are are you know these these kind of main four categories we talked about last week are not just uh, sort of by the way if we have time kind of things. Even in this crisis where a million other things feel more, quote-unquote, urgent, we would like to suggest that these uh, devoted patterns, this holy machinery of renewal, is never more important, is, is incredibly important, even and especially in this time when a lot of other things start to feel a lot more urgent, or a lot of other things start to keep us up at night, or start to play through our mind all day long, or the internet is full of all kinds of different headlines uh, now more than ever, these these patterns are super important for us to take this crisis, see it transformed in the way of Jesus, and brought into some sort of uh, goodness through his power. Yeah, and that's uh, why we're starting into them today, because um, really in that verse that Ben, uh, you quoted, there's uh, the apostles' teaching, there's fellowship, there's breaking bread together, and there's prayer. And we'll unpack what all those mean, we think, in this pr- uh, current context. Uh, but that's why we're starting with the apostles' teaching today. We're starting with Scripture. We're starting with the Bible. And the place to start there, and just in case, uh, you know, uh, there are any questions, and, and uh, even I think probably Christians have questions about where the Bible came from and what is it. So just briefly, uh, many uh, people think that the Bible is just sort of like the collection of greatest hits of writings from the uh, you know, first century, right after Jesus uh, rises from the dead and so forth, uh, which, by the way, this is Holy Week, and uh, that's why it's uh, significant that we're going there to the story of Jesus, to the gospel. But uh, it's actually a collection of inspired documents that even the earliest Jesus followers believed were authoritative for their lives. In other words, it was inspired with a capital I. It wasn't just inspiring but it was actually the words of God, the message from God, and the, the documents that we have in our New Testament were all treated that way in the early days. It, it, it has to do with this idea of canon. And, and when I mean I, canon, I don't mean like boom, boom, big, shoot em up canon, right? Yeah. You, mean like, you mean like the Star Wars canon, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. The that's a good can, you know, we said of, the, the f- of uh, accepted Star Wars. Star Wars yeah. lore, right, yeah, which, you know, we're not going to get into that, whether the first three or, the, I mean, the middle three are the right ones, we're not getting into that. But in terms of Scripture, there's a canon, and uh, that's why we have the New Testament in our Bibles today, if you go to the store and buy a Bible. Uh, and from the very beginning, it's important to understand this, from the very beginning, from the first three, four decades when these things were being written, when the gospel stories, the four gospels were written, they were accepted as uh, inspired text, uh, the word of God. When the eyewitness accounts were written, that's what they put in the New Testament. That's what they considered to be authoritative. It wasn't the New Testament yet. But they already, they already had that category, right? The, right. The inspired, authoritative word of God, because they had that category from the Old Testament, right? Right. So they were just putting these, adding these into that category. Yeah, because they were trying to you know, figure out, okay, they believed that the Old Testament was being fulfilled in Jesus, so they didn't drop off the Old Testament. They... 
they kept it and because it was vital part of God's story. Uh, but they began to realize that these new documents were explaining how Jesus had fulfilled all that and where things were going from there. And the apostles' letters were in there. They also, uh, you know, this is something that uh, some modern scholars, people like Bart Ehrman, uh, in case anybody out there has heard about the, him, uh, you know, some of the <clears throat> Gnostic gospel uh, people that have been promoting that off and on for the last 40 years, Um they also rejected the knockoffs. They rejected Gospels uh, like the Gospel of Thomas, who just didn't fit the story and, and weren't even the same category or same pattern, and they weren't considered eyewitness accounts. Um, but they did accept the Old Testament. Augustine, uh, 200 years later, said, you know, the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is in the New. In other words, he was putting his foot down and saying, no, the whole thing is Scripture from God. So it's just important to understand that little bit of canon information, because uh, when we say this, this isn't like, you know, uh, Dwayne and Ben's uh, summer corona reading list. This is these, these Although are, that that is this, a pretty excellent reading, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that is that is a, a sweet list. But uh, there is a transformative power to these books, and it was early on recognized to, uh, to be true. And Ben, you want to talk about like uh, how the Bible kind of opens our eyes? Because last week we talked about the the eyes to see and the kind of the social imaginary thing. And yeah, so. Um, if some of the words, by the way, if some of the phrases we're using uh, sound unfamiliar, hopefully in previous episodes we've sort of explained what they are a little bit, and you can go back and listen, or maybe even given you further reading to, to kind of do a little more deep diving. Because, uh, you know, we can go on for hours and hours, but trying to keep this short, we're sort of glossing over a lot of things and giving brief definitions. But social imaginary, we talked about it last week. The idea of a social imaginary, it comes from... Um, the book A Secular Age by Charles Taylor, right? It's Charles Taylor. Charles Taylor, yeah. Yeah. Um, the idea is that everybody has a, sort of a way that they see the world and a way that they see themselves in the world, and uh, and he calls it the social imaginary. And that what that is 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 not just our individual worldview, but kind of the thing that has uh, the cultural worldview, or is what we called it in the first episode, the post-Christian culture. And it's uh, it's our sort of imagined path of what life is all about. Or you might even say, I've heard some people say. Uh, our picture of the good life. You know, Dallas Willard uses that. Uh, James K.A. Smith uses that quite a bit, too. Uh, our picture of the good life is, is sort of our social imaginary. And so we all try to live into, uh, just because we're human beings and we're, we're hardwired for it, we sort of live into whatever we think is the good life. Um, and Scripture offers us a chance to reshape our social imaginary to where um, what we... Uh, what we see around the in the world around us is all kind of from this limited human perspective, not just a limited human perspective, but a limited cultural perspective and experience perspective. Uh, and so we just we constantly are limited in in what we think the world is about, and what we think the good good life is about. And the Bible makes a claim to be actually uh, God's social imaginary. The Bible claims to be what God envisions or t claims to tell us and show us what God imagines for our flourishing in the world. And so uh, if we are to see with God's eyes, we want to dive into scripture. And a story I thought about when I was thinking, when we were talking about this is uh, the the book, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you've read that book before, but uh, Corey Ten Boom was, <clears throat> lived in Holland during World War II, and her family and she were strong believers and very rooted in Scripture, and they uh, were hiding Jews from the Nazis during that time, and because of this, they were sent to concentration camp. 
um, and Corey and her sister were in the concentration camp and had managed to slip in, sneak in a few fragments of the New Testament. And every night after uh, incredible, uh, brutal labor and and uh, treatment by their guards and beatings and, and deaths and these things that would happen every day, all day long, they uh, would gather in their little bunk room and read these scriptures. And you, if you read this book, it's amazing. You see um, the, all these women, their perspective on the war, on their own role in uh, in the war, uh, their perspective on their captors, their their perspective on is God really with us and taking care of us, their perspective on how do I treat my oppressors, their perspective on all of this stuff begins to be reshaped by these uh, New Testament letters that they've smuggled in and are secretly holding Bible study with every night. And that was just a really clear picture to me that in the midst of crisis, our natural responses, we have to sort of stop and check those and go, are these really what's real? Is this really true? Is this really what the world is about? And is this really my place in it? And the scriptures are offering us God's perspective on what's really going on in our lives, in our hearts. And because of that, they have the power to shape our social imaginary and also then shape us as people. Yeah, so that makes... uh... You know, if you step back from that, that, that's a powerful, powerful story of what happens for all of us. Uh, if you step back from that and look at, quote-unquote, Scripture, really it's whatever you put your trust in uh, to make sense out of life. And, and whatever that is, whether it be you, you know, making up your own uh, sort of scriptural narrative, or whether it be, you know, celebrities telling you what that scriptural narrative is, or that professor, or whatever— uh, that becomes authoritative in every uh, life, in everyday life. And, um, you know, so we don't even think about it usually. I mean, it's, it's sort of what stands behind our decisions and our thoughts and the process of our lives. And so the question really is, especially at times like this, in times of crisis, uh, is does my authoritative narrative or my scripture hold water? In other words, is it sufficient uh, and is it true to the reality of life? And is it something that is going to uh, get me through? And that's why, that's, that, those are really the terms which Jesus and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and all the writers of the New Testament put the, um, they put scriptures, the biblical scriptures, the Bible, in that context. In fact, they talk about what the scriptures are in that context. Uh, Peter talks about Paul's writings being uh, in that context. Uh, being scripture from God and words from God, somehow written by Paul, written by Peter, you know, Mark written by Mark, Luke written by Luke, Matthew written by Matthew, John written by John, but under the inspiration and the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit. And it's because of that, that really what it opens up to us, this is why we do this whole social imaginary thing, because that's sort of a sociological category, but it fits with what Scripture actually does for those of us uh, in uh, the, who are Christians in, in this world. Uh, I love the way Dallas Willard puts it, the late Dallas Willard in his uh, book, Renovation of the Heart. Okay, so this is Dallas Willard. He says, When we open ourselves to the New Testament writings or absorb our minds and hearts in one of the Gospels or in letters such as Ephesians or First Peter, we get an impression that we are looking into another world, another life. 
It is a divine world and a divine life. Leaping out from the pages are amazing promises to those who give their life to this new world through confidence in Jesus. For example, Jesus said that those who give themselves to him will receive living water, the Spirit of God himself. He will keep them from ever again being thirsty, being driven and ruled by unsatisfied desires. See John 4.14. Indeed, they will receive rivers of living water flowing from the center of their life to a thirsty world. And that's a reference to John 7, 38. Yeah, that's why uh, we are trying to uh, really give some time and some thought to considering the possibility that Scripture really is the place to start. Biblical Scripture is the place to start to understanding not only our lives, but all the way down to this exact moment, this uh, this crisis that we're in. And remember the first couple of podcasts we talked about how um, the, this time could be used of God as a reset, a revival, a renewal, uh, that things could really be uh, changed. And we're, what we're trying to do is that we is say, what we're trying to say is to, to suggest that maybe we should open the pages of Scripture to see if there's some information there about what God could want to do in this time. So we're going to split this uh, devoted pattern into two podcasts. Uh, one is we're going to uh, kind of wrap this up here in a minute, but next week we're going to talk about even sort of drill down even more uh, closely to our daily lives of what could happen uh, in these days uh, to that, that could be incredibly life-giving uh, from the biblical scriptures. Yeah, and I also, uh, you know, I want to point out that Scripture, it changes our social imaginary or our vision of the good life or what, what life is really about and our place in the world. And it does, Scripture is uh, part of that renewal process, that holy machinery of renewal that we put in crisis or difficulty, and it sort of transforms it and turns it into renewal and, and the presence of God, uh, uh, or a, an opportunity for the presence of God to be to be felt and experienced. Um, but uh, I also know... I also have noticed that uh, there's something very powerful in putting yourself in the story of Scripture. If you think about Scripture, you know, it begins with God's uh, creation of the world, and it ends long after, uh, you know, through all, all of these stories, it ends actually beyond us. It ends uh, with the consummation of all things in the kingdom of heaven, um, with God reigning in fullness and in power. And so as we put ourselves in that story, we're sort of... Um, we sort of have a, a bigger picture of what's going on in our lives, and the ordinary details of our lives start to take on cosmic significance because we're putting ourselves in a more cosmic or, or bigger uh, super narrative kind of story. Um, and, uh, you know, we alluded, we uh, suggested it earlier that uh, people, no matter who you are, no matter if you're a person of faith or a person of no faith, uh, everyone lives by a scripture. And another way to put that would be everyone lives within a story. Everyone lives within their version of, of what life is about, why we're all here, what we're doing here, and, uh, and, and what it means to live well in this world. And uh, people get that from, uh, you know, whatever uh, social imaginary is going viral at the moment. People get that from trusted celebrities and counselors and guides in the media. People get that from uh, teachers and from cultures, and there's all kinds of places, but those things, when they place us in a narrative that's bigger than we are, and that sort of gives us a context for the life we're living, those things are actually become, become scriptures. So in a way, everyone does live by a scripture, and our suggestion is that uh, 
the, the Bible being, if you're a Jesus follower, you know, we believe that it is the inspired word of God, actually has more transformational power to, to really help us live life as life was really intended to be lived and to flourish in God's world more fully, even in the midst of crisis. Yeah, that's good. Um, and I, I want to kind of wrap this up with a story out of my life, um, which uh, is a very personal story, but I, I have to tell you, this uh, moment uh, changed my life, and it has to do with a, a metaphor, or you could even say a parable. You see, this business about seeing the other world, I think, is why Jesus taught in parables. And this story for me, from my experience in my Christian life and my experience in uh, my adult uh, ministry life, quite frankly, the entire I, I've thought about this many times. I've thought about this during this uh, current crisis a lot uh, about what I can be doing, what we as believers can be doing in the midst of this time, and how Jesus will use um, scripture, uh, biblical scripture, how he'll use that uh, in our lives for transformative and life-giving things. And um, it relates directly to Scripture, and it relates directly to uh, my own uh, uh, personal mentor. His name's Dr. Jim Houston. And I remember the first time I met him. Uh, it was uh, quite a while ago. Uh, it was at a summer school at Regent College. He's the founder of Regent College, uh, and uh, he had been an Oxford professor until 1969, and then Jim Houston... Uh, moved to Vancouver, B.C., and founded Regent College. It was a graduate school in Christian studies. It was originally designed for people who would come out of the marketplace and be uh, trained uh, to live the Christian life uh, where they were planted in in their uh, business world or whatever. Uh, but uh, I had met him. I had heard about him, and I wanted to meet him, so I met him uh, one day of that summer school. Actually, it was the first day of that summer school, and I really was in a crisis myself. I, I was not sure about a lot of things, uh, particularly uh, whether or not I wanted to be a pastor or not, and I was about ready to chuck the whole thing, thought I'd throw out one last uh, uh, cast here and see what came back. And uh, Dr. Houston noticed that I needed more time than just a casual conversation, so he invited me the next day, the next morning, to his office. And when I came in his office, he, you know, is the epitome. Uh, for those of who know uh, Dr. James Houston, he is the epitome of gospel grace and Jesus-style gentleness. So the first thing he did is he said, "Tell me your story again." So I told my his my story again, and then I got to the end and kind of looked at him, and he was just sitting there, kind of nodding his head and thinking. And I thought, "Uh oh, uh, what have I done?" Uh, but then all of a sudden, he began to speak, and he said, "I've got three things to tell you." And he said, "The first one is." you're not crazy. And uh, I thought, that's good. Uh, now, a lot of people have argued that point uh, with me since then, but... Uh, yeah, I was going to yeah, say, yeah, I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, way, yeah, way to go. <laughs> uh, but uh, second thing he says, you need to understand the cosmic significance of your struggle. Uh, and I said, uh, could you clarify that, please? He said, well, you, you've told me that you are in the midst of a very dry spiritual time. You're living in a church that's dead, dead, dead. You're living in a church that's discouraging you and making you think that, man, I don't want to be a pastor if this, being a pastor of a place like this is what mean, being a pastor is about. He said, well, that's exactly right. He said, but you need to understand that, the, that you're not alone in this, that it's not all about you, but Jesus is in this. That Jesus has those same concerns. His heart is broken just like yours is. His, his, his uh, passion for his people is challenged just like yours is. And he's walking with you in this. So it's not like you're just out here alone. 
And then he said a third thing. He says, the third thing I need to tell you is you need to stay in school. You need to continue on, uh, whether you become a pastor or not. And he says, while you're here, you need to dig a well. And I said, well, I, I, I've dug a hole for an outhouse on my internship, but I don't, I, I don't know what digging a well means. And, he, and you need to understand that he, this was a dignified man I was talking to about these things. So uh, he said, well, he, he, he gave me the kind chuckle. And then he said, well, no, you need to understand, I'm talking about the kind of well that Jesus promised us if we dig deeply into a relationship with him. And while you're here in school, while you're here sort of sequestered in this place, make sure you dig your well of, to Jesus so deeply that you strike on the water that he promises, the living water welling up to fill your life, and it will touch other people. And you see, and then he made this statement that just kind of blew my mind. He said, you see, if you do that, then you'll take that well with you, and even if you do wind up in a dry, deserty kind of place, you'll be an oasis for other people, and he'll use you to transform the place. And uh, I think that's not just a metaphor for me. I think that's a metaphor for all of us. The, the scripture, of course, he was referring to is when Jesus was with the Samaritan woman, wasn't supposed to be talking to a Samaritan, wasn't supposed to be talking to a woman, uh, of all things, and we can get into that another time. Uh, about how, some of the quirky stuff they believed back then. But Jesus loved all people, and he was having a very deep conversation with this woman, a very smart woman, and she was uh, you know, challenging him about um, how, you know, how it was he was going to draw water from a well. He didn't have a bucket there, you know, kind of saying, I think maybe she was poking at him a little bit, like, you know, do you want me to draw you water or not? You know, how are you going to slake your thirst? You don't even have the proper equipment here. And in John 4, 13 to 14, uh, Jesus answers her this way, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I think that's what the scriptures are supposed to be for us. Yes, in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Yes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus speaks through them, and as we dig deeply into those and dig, therefore dig deeply into relationship with Jesus, even and especially maybe in times of crises and being st stuck at home or sequestered in school or whatever it is we are, uh, it can be that transformative experience to uh, have our hearts and minds changed. And ultimately, when we take those uh, living waters with us, into the world, uh, we'll see social, imagine, social imaginaries in a broader scale change and uh, be transformed and touched. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, we all need a well that won't run dry. Uh, you know, in the first week, we talked about how our worldviews or our social imaginaries that we are operating under are kind of coming under attack and being shown to be insufficient. So you might even say our, our wells as a culture are running dry. And so in all times, but it may be especially in this time of crisis, people need an oasis. They need a well that is not running dry. And so it's kind of our call as Christians, even when other things feel more urgent, and even when other things are kind of coming at us uh, through the media and through the news, to really dig deep into God's word and to let it begin to transform us and to, and to, and to put down deep roots into our hearts, sort of tap roots into that living water so that we can be an oasis to a world that uh, kind of all its sources are running out. 
so next week we're going to talk about sort of experiencing the Bible, the practical um, nuts and bolts kind of stuff, but also the experiential kind of stuff, what can happen when we really let it begin to change us and get down into our lives in a powerful way. And uh, so let's end today with books, the, cor- the Corona reading list. Awesome. <laughs> Dwayne and Ben's Corona reading list. Okay. Uh, so uh, just real quick, if you're interested in sort of the, the reliability of the New Testament, reliability of the scriptures, there's two great books. The classic one is by F.F. F. Bruce. Did you name know his name was Frederick Fivey? I did not. I would go by Fred FF. Um, FF Bruce, uh, the New Testament documents, are they reliable? And uh, it's been, uh, you know, revised several times. I mean, not um, changed, but updated. And uh, the the latest edition is just great. In fact, if you're interested in that whole discussion of canon, you can check that out in chapter three. Uh, A more recent book in 2019 was from from Peter J. Williams. He's also a, a Cambridge scholar. I believe, yes, Cambridge. And uh, he uh, wrote a book uh, called Can We Trust the Gospels? And that's more from a, you know, uh, sort of a, an experiential level uh, and a historical level. How do we know that they're reliable? And it really some good stuff in there, and it's very accessible. And then finally, we quoted from Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard, which is the classic on uh, putting on the character of Christ, uh, the transformation that happens when we uh, deepen our relationship with Jesus. Uh, And uh, Ben actually um, showed me uh, maybe a more accessible version of Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart. It's called... Uh, Renovation of the Heart in Daily Practice. Yeah, and it's it's more bite-sized chunks. You can read it uh, in daily practice. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. When I read Willard, it's sort of like reading the Apostle Paul. It's not the same. Don't... Nobody, uh, if anybody's got a PhD out there, don't don't freak out. But uh, it is, you know, like where you read a sentence, and you got to, hmm, I got to think about that, and that's how deep he is. So this daily um, uh, daily life uh, version of it is really really helpful. So, uh, and I will recommend a book I mentioned earlier today, "The Hiding Place" by Corey Ten Boom. If you've never read it, incredible story of faith and also of the resilient power that Scripture can create in our lives. As we uh, as we seek and, and dig deep into the Word of God, and then also um, the this is a reading list, but uh, the, the article I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Gospel Coalition: The Story of Iran's Church in Two Sentences. If you're interested in learning more about the Iranian Church in the modern world, uh, there's a documentary series, two two documentaries called Sheep Among Wolves. Um, it can be a little heavy-handed at times, but I definitely recommend the second one, Sheep Among Wolves Volume 2. It kind of just gives you an insight, and there's some real-life uh, interviews with people who are believers in Jesus in Iran, and it's some good insight into what's going on there. All right. All right. We, well, did, we did it. Be safe, everybody. Be well. And it uh, looks like we're going to have a sunshiny week, so... Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast later, you're having a sunshiny week, and uh, see you next week. Oh, uh, oh. In, invite your friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Invite your friends to listen to the podcast. <laughs> we're, not, yeah. we're not professional no. podcasters <laughs> over here. Yeah, we're, yeah. If we you, are lousy promoters. If anyway. you, if you yeah. like what you hear, yeah. share it with your friends, share yeah. it on social media, and you can also, it's helpful if you um, rate or write a review on Apple Podcasts that will help more people see what's going on or hear what's going on here. If you find it helpful, help us spread the word. We'll see you next time. 